the providence of God. I want to go ahead and jump into the text. We have a little bit to cover, so I want to get that done. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Paul begins, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. It's interesting that he begins with, I rejoiced, because he told us to rejoice upon rejoicing. So joy, 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 joy. Remember that from last week. And he sets in a good example as he's wrapping up this letter. I rejoiced in the Lord that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So they were concerned for him before and they have revived it again with what they sent with Epaphroditus. You were indeed concerned for me, he says, but you had no opportunity. But now that Epaphroditus has come, that's the opportunity. As Epaphroditus visits him in prison. He wants to make clear, I don't have a need. I've learned to be content in whatever the situation. I've met people that in my life who taught me that by their example. And I had to back up and reevaluate. I'll tell you about an individual in a little bit, but I want to go ahead and give you a quote that a lot of people say, and that is, money is the root of all evil. I want to let you know that is wrong. Oh, there's supposed to be a sound there. Darn. Yeah. You want to try that again? All right. So money is the root of all evil. Still no sound. Oh, well. Fail. If I swing again, it'll be the third strike. So we'll just skip it. That's the wrong answer. Money is not the root of all evil. Let me give you the scripture where people misquote and twist this. It comes out of 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to go ahead and read that now. There's a lot of meat here. Beginning with verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, I know there's a whole lot of churches and preachers and authors that talk about how if you are a, a, a real Christian and you have, if you have genuine faith, then you will be rich. There's, in fact, it's a lot of rich preachers and rich authors who say this sort of thing and they make their money off of other people who make them rich. But the problem is, my Bible and your Bible tells us there's nothing wrong with being rich. It just, it comes with complications, but chasing after money, loving money, those kinds of things are problematic. And we're going to talk a little bit more as we go through our text. It's, you got to have money. You got to be able to pay for stuff. You don't want to you don't want to not be able to pay the bill, so that's part of life. But it's not, the, it's not money that's the root of all evils. It's the love of money. 
If it was money in and of itself, then we would all be evil. The church would be evil, and anything that had anything to do with money would be evil. Only those that are poor and animals and trees and stuff would be holy. (laughs) So we're not even supposed to be craving, chasing after money. This continues, by the way, I believe in our text. Or does it? No, it doesn't. Let's go to Hebrews, another passage. It says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's an allusion to Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 9. You'll see that up behind me if you need to write it down. But I was in New York. I'm sorry, it was Hartford, Connecticut. I went to do some inner city mission work up there, and as I did this, uh, it was, uh, I, I think I shared part of this with you before, but as I walked down the halls, it was a, a home for special needs adults. They were in, um, they call it transition, but they never really transition out of it. They stay in this home because they need help motivated to get up and go to work or whatever it is, just different things in life they need help with. So they they live in their own room in this big house, but they have people in there that help care for whatever their needs might be at whatever level uh, they're at. And as we're walking and touring the place, because I'm going to be doing inner city mission work here, working with the special needs adults, giving the people that normally work there a break, we're taking a tour, and as we go by and uh, pass some of these rooms, there is a woman probably in her late 20s, maybe early 30s. She's got Down syndrome. She's very short, and she's standing at the door, bouncing on her toes, just watching everybody walk by, and so as we walk by, it looks to me like everybody is just pretending that she's not there. They just walk on by as she's happy to see everybody, and I'm the last one in line, and as we're passing her as I get right to her I said something to her and greeted her and and she greeted me back with would you like to see my room yes of course I came here to see your room you know I I want to see your room couple come with me into the room and she shows us different things in the room and she's this is my bed she's very happy about her bed it wasn't special it was just a box spring mattress with sheets and blankets and a pillow There was no headboard or anything like that, just a bed. This is my dresser. It's a little thing. Um, She showed us our clothes. She had maybe enough to get by through the week. She showed me her shoes. She didn't have any shoes on. Those were her one pair of shoes. She was so proud of it. She had a baby doll. She's proud of her baby doll. And this is my picture. And she showed, I was expecting to see more. It was a picture of herself. No family, no friend, just her. And it hit me like a huge weight. Like, she's so happy. She has nothing. Not even a photo of a friend or family. She's happy. She's content. And there's, there's been other things like that where people who don't have much seem to be very content with what little they do have. And I've had to back up and learn, relearn, and rethink that I need to be content. Jesus spoke of this 
actually on the Sermon on the Mount. And I've brought this up to you when I'm talking about stress. I just want to bring it up now and talk about the practical elements of this, not just the therapy, but actually what he's telling us to do. So we'll go to Matthew chapter 6 and we'll read this little section that has a lot to do with being content. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? I love that question. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon... That's the next slide. Even Solomon, in... All his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And the point of this whole thing is, we're supposed to prioritize God. Make Jesus first. Don't dwell on all the other things that you actually need. Seek first the kingdom of God, and he will take care of the rest. So you still have to pay your bills. You still got to go shopping. You still have to eat. But the Lord will provide if we're not dwelling so much on those needs. Focus on him. All right, back at our text. Paul just told us that he's learned to be content in every situation. He continues and explains further with verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, be, how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Notice that it's a challenge not just to deal with times when you're low, he says, I've learned a secret of facing plenty and hunger. Really? You have to face plenty? If you have an abundance, you have all that you need and more than you need, that's, that's a problem? Having too much, more than I need? How do I have to, what is a struggle there? It doesn't seem like a struggle. I mean, I, you know, many of us, I, I want that struggle. I want to have more than I need all the time, always more than I need. How can that be a struggle? <laughs> Well, I think God revealed to many of us during the incipient stages of this COVID, this plague, I like to call it, and uh, all that goes along with it, there's a lot of people that suddenly found themselves ordering from Amazon too much on a regular basis. 
Oops. Struggle with too much. Struggle with having more than you need and then you're buying more than that you don't need. I mean, most of us actually think about other people. You know, we think, yeah, I know. There was always a package at the door for him or there was always a package at the door for her. It would do us well to evaluate how we think about what we have and if we are content. Paul has learned this. And the emphasis in the Greek, it doesn't really come out in the English very well, but he's emphasizing, this is what I have learned. He's not saying uh, with a, a great emphasis, you need to learn this too. He's saying, remember, I'm in prison and y'all sent me support. I thank you for that. I'm not asking for more. I've learned to be content with what I have and, and you supplied me. I've learned to be okay whether your gifts came or not. I'm appreciative. I learned that. And he's setting an example for us more than he's giving us some type of rebuke. But the most powerful verse is that last verse. Do you mind if we look at that again? It's going to come up behind me in a different color. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Can you say that with me as it comes up again? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. One more time. Let's do it together. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's going to be in your head maybe throughout the week. I hope it stays with you for life. This is something that we find it hard to be motivated sometimes. But God provides. Now, his providence is something I want to talk to you about. You'll see it start slowly creeping down behind me. Because I want to talk to you about something that's very significant here. I want you to notice that Paul is talking about how God provides through other people. I want you to notice also that God's providence that's happening that way, He is providing for us right now, as we just read that line. He is motivating us, encouraging us to know that we can get through whatever because God's the one who provides strength in me. Now, hold on a minute. It doesn't say, although there are passages we could turn to where God will provide for your physical needs. We just read out of Matthew chapter 6. God will take care of your needs. But that's not what he's saying here. Paul is emphasizing, I have learned to get through stuff, whether it's hard or easy. I learned to get through it because it's God that gives me the strength to get through whatever. What God is telling us that we can, we can get through anything because he'll provide us the strength. There's other ways, there's many other passages we could talk about what else he will provide, because he's a providential God. But he gives us the strength to get through the good and the bad. And sometimes the good it requires extra strength. And a lot of times the bad requires extra strength. To understand God's providence that Paul is particularly talking about right now in this passage is he can help you through it by giving you the strength to get through it. In other words, he's not saying, I'm going to help you get out of it. I'm going to help you avoid it. Take a nap. Forget about it. Pretend it's not there. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, I'm going to give you the strength to get through it. Because that's what we need. Our strength, I mean, yeah, we can motivate ourselves. We can try to say, oh, I'm going to do this. And, you know, we can say it comes from us. But no. To get through these things, we depend on God and we get through them. 
That's where our strength should come from. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I love that passage. It continues, verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Wow, that's a big statement. No wonder he rejoices so much over the Philippians. They have brought him a lot of joy by meeting his physical needs when nobody else would. That's what he's saying here. Now, I want to pay attention to that word share. There is a a note in my Bible and maybe in yours, so I've got it underlined up behind me. Once you look at this Greek word, this is the exact Greek word as it appears in the text. It's a little bit long. But this is where it's basically the root word of this word is koinonia. Isn't that interesting? You probably wouldn't have guessed that if I would have said, hey, uh, list the Greek words you've heard of before. Even if you, don't, you can't say the Greek words, what Greek words have you heard about? You've probably all heard about koinonia, fellowship. And if I would have asked you to pick from a selection of a bunch of Greek words, you probably would, if I said, which Greek word do you think was used for share? You probably wouldn't have said koinonia. But that's it. That's the word. It means fellowship and communion. We just had communion. That's a time when we draw nearer to God and to others. That's what it's for. It's a time where our focus is on Christ and the fellowship of believers get together to dwell on what he did for us. That is koinonia. It's what we do. It's what we did yesterday also at the men's breakfast. It was a special time. It's a good moment where we got together. One particular, we had a, a new person come visit us and he said, I just came for the fellowship. That's what he said. So it's a time where you draw nearer to God by drawing nearer to other people who want to draw near to God, people that are close to God. And when you get together, there is a synergy. We will talk about this synergy at another time, but there is an incredible synergy that is, it doesn't make mathematical, mathematical sense at all. When Christians get together, they build on the strength of God that is incredible. And so fellowship represents that. Now, notice that how he uses this. He says, it was, it was kind of you to share my trouble. So Paul, going through his incarceration and other troubles, they didn't just send money. They did more. So I want to explain what this requires, this type of thing. There's three words I want to give to you. First of all, in order to share this way, this requires sympathy. If you want to be kind to others and share in their trouble, this requires sympathy. This means that you have to have an understanding from their perspective what they're going through as best you can. You hurt when they hurt. It also requires, the second word is sacrifice. So yes, the Philippians sent money. Not only did they send money, they sent people. We know Epaphroditus for one. They let one of their active, very, very solid church people that they need for doing church things, they sent him away, a missionary, to go help Paul. 
That's a big deal. That's a sacrifice. And so the fact that they sent money, they've got a budget, they've got to pay for bills, they got all this, they probably had to take up a special offering for Paul, so people had to dig deeper. Maybe they had plans, they were going to put that hot tub in or whatever it is, and people like, you know, I want to do what God wants me to do, I think we need to help, we need to help somebody. The third thing it requires is selflessness. You can't share someone else's trouble without surrendering surrendering yourself. You can't be selfish. So let's just talk about this for just a little bit beyond Paul incarcerated and Philippians sending help and sharing in trouble. Let's talk about what that might look like for us because I can tell you it's not a lot of fun while you're doing it. Sometimes the help isn't as easy as just, okay, I'll take some money out of the bank, out of my back pocket, whatever, I'll contribute. And that's a sacrifice, sure. And, and it's sympathizing. But the selflessness and putting all three of these together sometimes requires more of us. I don't, I don't know what we can do for Dustin. We just brought this up. I, I, didn't, I didn't anticipate coming in today and getting a message from Dustin saying his daughter's got a fever. I'm about to take her to the ER. Would you please pray? Have the church pray. I wasn't expecting that. I shared it and you prayed and I thank you for that. But I don't know about you, but the way I feel is like I wanna, I'm going to call him after the service is over. I'm calling to see, hey, I, what do I need to do? You know, That's what I want to do. Um, that's some of you are thinking the same thing, especially some of you mothering types. You're like, I'm going to go hold that baby. I'm going to cool her down. I'm going to, you know, you want to, that's what you think. And that requires that you have to change your plans. That requires that you might expose yourself to COVID. I don't know what she's got. You might have to expose yourself to some sickness that requires that you go out of your way, spend some time, might make yourself sick, might have to spend some resources to help somebody who needs help. So it requires sympathy, sacrifice, and selflessness. That's what it requires. Let's go a little bit further than just talking about Dustin, who probably didn't want me talking about this in the sermon. But what if it's somebody who's got a, a, an issue that's going to take a lot more than just one day? You've got to come alongside them, and you've got to call and check on them on a regular basis, maybe daily for a while. You coming alongside them might pose a risk to some, something you're normally used to. It might, might take away your time that you needed for something else. You've got a project. You've got to get it done. You, this is what's required when you are doing what God calls you to do, when you are sharing in somebody else's troubles. You are taking it on. And I don't even have this up behind me, but Galatians 6 is where you need to look. Um, if somebody is even caught in sin... Those of us who are spiritual should restore them gently. So even if it's a sinful thing, even if they're struggling with some type of an addiction, you go to them as best you can, and you go with them through whatever that fire it is they've got to go through. The Philippian church did that with Paul. That would not be easy. It would be so much easier to say, yeah, that Paul guy, he's in jail now. Can you believe it? He's in jail kind of person is he? Instead, they knew who he was. They stayed loyal to him, and they sacrificed selflessly, sympathizing. This is how God does his providence. You want to talk about the providence of God, you'll see it creeping down again. 
This is how God does it. He uses us. Yes, there are times when miracles happen and none of us have anything to do with it. And God just intervenes and does his thing. But the vast majority of the time, he uses us to do these things. He provides through other people. Christians, this is us. We're the ones that are supposed to be the catalyst for the work of God. So let's do that. It's an embarrassing thing when non-Christians step up to the plate better than Christians. They at least understand something that we haven't gotten, and we need to get this. The providence of God happens through other people. Think about your life. How did God provide for you in a time when you were really struggling, and then suddenly he provided? How did that happen? Through other people almost 100% of the time. It's pretty close. Okay. We'll move on in the text. Now we look at verse 18. I think. 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Isn't that interesting? And the Thessalonian church doesn't get credit. They actually helped him too. We read that. But the Philippian church sent him help twice when he was there. Good for them. They just keep on helping him, and he brings it up. You've helped me so much. I want to bring to your attention something else that Paul doesn't bring up here, because this is significant. When he was dealing with the Thessalonians, did you know that he actually refused? He refused to take the Thessalonians' help at different times. You know why? Because they were idle. And he didn't want them to see him being idle. Look at this. I'll show you uh, one of the passages here. This is 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 8. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. So when he was in Thessalonica with his comrades, they purposely chose to not take other people's food that was offered to them. No. Why not? Because they had gotten so idle. Idle time breeds sin. If you not learn this, you need to learn this. If you are not actively serving Jesus in some way, if you're not actively trying to do the will of God in your daily lives, you could easily become a person who becomes unnecessarily critical of others. And people that are actively serving the Lord on a regular basis, they don't have time for a bunch of unnecessary drama. They're serving Jesus. But the Thessalonians were struggling with this, and they were sinning. I wanted to give you the verse, some people's favorite. Here it is. It's uh, verse 10, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now, that flies in the face of a lot of what we've been doing in this country and our state. We've been compensating people for not working. People who can work, who refuse to work, we're paying for it. That's, that is not a good thing. If you're capable of working, you should be working. That's what this scripture is telling us. There's other ways it's translated. He who does not work shall not eat. Let me look at 2 Corinthians, if you don't mind. We'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. We'll just read a little section here. 
We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Hey, that's what he's talking about. That's where he's incarcerated. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Paul not only is, wrote a letter telling at the end of Philippians, telling them, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. You, I learned to be content. You just kept sacrificially giving, and I thank you for that. He also brags about it to another church. Hey, those Philippians, they, they gave in their poverty. They gave above their means. And they gave willingly. It was not something that we asked them to do. And they actually begged us to take the help so that they could feel the blessing of being able to sacrificially give. I hope you get from this some, a trait that Paul has. Paul, Paul has this reputation of being so harsh. But listen to him. Paul not only is encouraging. I'm, you, you fill me with joy. You fill me with so much joy. You, you, you should... Other people should learn joy upon joy upon joy upon joy. That's what Philippians is all about. And not only does he say this to them, when he has opportunity, he tells other people about them. This is a good trait. People of God, let me help you with something. We live in a world where most people are very quick to criticize, very, fi- very quick to find flaws in other people. Why not be the kind of person that purposely chooses to look past flaws and, and see the good? And why not take it a step further as people of God and not only see the good, but go to the people that you see the good in them and tell them, you know what I love about you? This and this and this. What about doing this on a regular basis? What about doing this in your church where that fellowship is supposed to be a synergy of people of God coming together, drawing near to him and building on his strength? Remember, his providence happens through us. Why can't we build each other up? And how about take it to the next level that Paul just showed us in, first, in 2 Corinthians? Look what he did. He went to others and spoke very highly of the Philippians. So if you look past the flaws and choose to dwell on the good and tell those people, this is what I love about you. I love how you do this. I love the way you say this. I love what you do when you come to church. I love how you interacted with so-and-so. I love how you serve. Whatever it is you say, how about take it to the next level? And when you have an opportunity, tell somebody else. You know what I know about Lila? These good things. You know? You know what I know about Jim? These good things. You know, whoever, just not only build them up to their face, build them up, talk about them behind their back in a very good way. This is something the church has not done well. We, we did the other. I'm not saying this church. I, I haven't even seen anybody in this church negatively bad-mouthing anybody else. Nobody's done that with me. 
But, and I thank you, keep doing that, not doing that. But how about we take it to the next level and purposely speak good about everybody that we can when we have the opportunity? You know how good that would feel to anybody who comes in here and gets to feel that? That would, that would feel genuine. That would feel like these people are real Christians. They don't cut each other down. They don't look for flaws that are clearly there. They look for the good and they, they build others up. Those of you who've had kids and have kids, don't you love it when other people build them up? Don't you love it when they learn that somebody else was speaking very good about them to somebody else? Let's do that. Let's do that with each other. That's what Paul just showed us how to do. I want to do that better. I hope you'll do it better with me. Okay. See how Philippians is just a great book of joy. It just kind of spills over into our lives and not so incidentally, very purposely and practically. But Paul's going to wrap up his letter to the Philippians in the text that we're going to read right now up behind me, starting with verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To God, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. So let it be. That's what amen means. Look at that. He wants them to have the credit for their generosity. That's what he wants. He doesn't want a gift. He just wants them to have credit for what they've already done. He's okay. I'm okay. But may, be, may God be glorified by all of this. Notice he says that God will supply all of your needs. Well, we already read that in Matthew. Jesus said that on the Sermon on the Mount. There's nothing inconsistent here. It's very, very consistent. But what I'd like to do is to answer the so what question. I had a professor in my first undergraduate seminary say, uh, you always have to answer the question, so what? Anytime you teach a lesson, anytime you preach a message, so? <laughs> there needs to be something that people can sink their teeth into. So here we go with some golden nuggets or the so what in our text today. Here's just a few things, five of them, and we've got some subtopics within the five. So first of all, you'll see the bullets pop up. It is commendable to fellowship in others' troubles. It's a good thing to run into a burning house, metaphorically speaking. When it's somebody who needs help, it's good to share in their troubles. Second thing, fellowshipping in others' troubles requires, here's the three subtopics. First of all, I'll remind you, sympathy. Second, self selflessness. And third, sacrifice. The next one, God wants to use us for his providence. That's the way it typically happens. I want to be his instrument in this, don't you? Don't you want to be his instrument that delivers his providence for others? Here's another thing. Contentment is a learned behavior. Paul said it clearly. 
I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. Contentment doesn't just happen. It's not just that other person in that house over there that has very little, but they, they just, it's okay for them. That's just who they are. It's their personality or something. No, 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 no. That's a learned behavior like I learned when I was about to pass the Down syndrome lady who said, would you like to see my room? And I went into her room and I learned this is contentment and I don't have it. And she taught me. And the last thing, understanding God's providence can be a safeguard. If you understand the way God's providence happens is through God's people, then you understand you have a responsibility and you also have, uh, you have a primary responsibility, and that is to be an instrument of his providence, but also to acknowledge the other people that were an instrument for your providence, like Paul did with the Philippians. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for looking out for us. So many times it just seems like there's just no way. We don't know how we're going to do what we've got to do. We don't know how we're going to get through what's in front of us. And then you always deliver. God, may we be your instruments to do such things. And may we notice when others are instruments. Teach us to build each other up. Teach us to be content. Teach us to speak very well of each other to others. In Jesus' name, amen.